Turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Thank you, Jacob, and everyone for leading us in worship. I love singing such great songs. Some of those had me almost doing the wash the window. You guys know that one? You know, where you're washing the windows, you know? Um, but in all reality, it's, it's a great thing to be gathered with God's people to be singing about the great glories of our Christ and our King Jesus. So we are in the Gospel of Luke. We started a, a large series called Jesus Period, uh, but we're kind of in our second part of that series called Jesus, the Friend of Sinners. And so we are in Luke chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 15 through 38 today. So if you have a copy of God's Word, follow along. And this is what the Lord has to say for us. As the people were in expectation... And all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod, the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son as was supposed of Joseph. Now hang with me here, okay? The son of Heli, the son of Mattath, the son of Levi the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Elsie, the son of Nagai, the son of Math, the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Joshet, the son of Jodah, the son of Jonan, the son of Resha, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kossum, the son of Elmadim, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eleazar, the son of Joram, the son of Mattath, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Melia, the son of Mina, the son of Mattatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Amenadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arnai, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Sergug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Selah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxat, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech the son of Methuselah, the son of Enosh, the son of Jared, the son of Mahaliel, the son of Canaan, 
the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. We made it to the end. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word today, God. We come with no, no telling what all is on our minds and on our hearts today. Some of us maybe have had great weeks. Some of us maybe have had terrible weeks. Some of us maybe just have blah weeks, Lord, but we know that, God, that Christ is worthy of our attention in this moment. He's worthy of our hearts and our lives and our devotion now. And, and as we open your word to see what it means that he is your beloved son with whom you're well pleased, God, may you open our eyes to see the beauties and the glories of King Jesus. And as we see him today, as we behold him, may we lean into him. May we put all of our chips in today. May we go all in in faith and in love and of trust for King Jesus. So God, would you do that for us today for our good and for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. So are you the kind of person that goes all in for something? You know those kind of people, maybe somebody's all into exercise, and so they're going all in, right? They're, they're hitting the gym early in the morning, or they're out late at night running in the neighborhood. They're eating good. They're staying hydrated. They got their super powder that they're mixing in their water bottle. What is that stuff? I mean, you know those kind of people that are all in for exercise, right? Some people are all in for their TV shows, right? They're, they're hosting watch parties at their home. As soon as that episode's over, they're scrolling through YouTube for explainer videos on what, 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 ha- what does that even mean, you know? They're up late watching just one more episode, right? You've all been there. When people are all in for their TV shows, they go all in. Some people go all in for their hobbies, right? They're, they're hitting that deer stand at the opening season, opening day. They're bringing their binders or Pokemon cards to church. They're shiplapping their entire house. They're turning their upstairs into a coffee roasting business. I mean, you know, those kind of people that go all in for the things that they enjoy. It can be easy for us to go all in for these things, right? We give our attention to them. We give our time and our focus to them. We give our lives to them. We can even give our hearts to these things. So why then, when it comes to Jesus, do we struggle to go all in for Jesus? I mean, let's just be honest right up front and admit that it can be hard at times to go all in for Jesus. It can be hard to, like a poker player, and put all of our chips on the table for Jesus. We can struggle to give him our attention. We can struggle to give him our time and our focus. We can struggle to give him our hearts and our lives. I mean, trusting Jesus can be hard at times. Talking about him can feel empty at times. Resting in Jesus can feel impossible at times. It could be your suffering. It could be your sin. It could be your unbelief. It, it could be your idols. Whatever it is, there's, there's these things in our lives that, that hold us back from going all in with Jesus. But God, in His grace today, wants to help us with that. 
We've come to God's Word in the Gospel of Luke, and, and we see Jesus taking center stage so that He might be at the center of our lives. You see, God wants to show us His Son today so that we might not hold back and so that we might be all in for Jesus. All in by faith, all in for trusting and, and abiding and resting in Jesus. And so that's my prayer for us today. That's my goal from this passage is for us to see why we should go all in for Jesus. And hear the Father in heaven calling us to His beloved Son so that we might go all in for Him. So I want us to see first in our passage that Jesus is God's expected King. Jesus is God's expected king. So we're right in the middle of Luke's story here about John the Baptist and his ministry. If you remember from last week, John was preaching a message of repentance and forgiveness of sins. He's in the region around the Jordan River baptizing, and huge crowds are going to him. And so there's this buzz of excitement. There was, as Luke tells us in verse 15, an expectation in the air. People were sensing that God is doing something here. God is, is doing something amazing here. And so the crowds begin to wonder if John is the Christ. You see that word Christ is the same word as Messiah, and it means anointed one. God had long promised to send a king who would make every promise come true. He would rescue God's people, and he would rule over all of heaven in earth. But notice what John has to say about that. He says, nope, it's not me. I'm not the Christ. Notice four things that he says about Jesus who's coming after him. He says, Jesus is mighty. In verse 16, John calls him, he who is mightier than I. He says, Jesus is worthy. John says, I'm not even worthy to untie the straps on his sandals. He says, Jesus is powerful. He says, I baptize you with water, but when Jesus comes, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And lastly, John says that Jesus has authority. In verse 17, he says, Jesus will bring judgment by gathering his people and punishing those who do not believe. You see, John is quick to shift the attention away from himself into Jesus. I mean, we've already seen these stories connected in the Gospel of Luke. But it's clear that John has always just been the opening act. I mean, at his birth, John was declared the prophet of the Most High God. But Jesus, at his birth, is declared the Son of the Most High God. And listen, John's okay with that. It's the very purpose that he was born, so that he might prepare the way for Jesus. John is not God's expected king. Jesus is. And friends, that's good news for us today because God is not expecting us to be the Christ. He is not expecting us to be this long-awaited king. God knows that we are weak, and I, I know that I'm very weak. So he sends a king who is mighty. God knows that we are not worthy, so he sends a king who is worthy. God knows that we have no power, so he sends a king who has the power of the Spirit. 
And see, God knows that we have no real authority, so he sends a king who will judge the living and the dead. Now, maybe you've read one too many self-help books, and if you've read one, you've read one too many. Uh, But God is not expecting you to do what only Jesus can do. God knows that we need a king who can do those things. I mean, if all we needed was a little self-esteem, a a little courage, a little pick-me-up, then God would have given us a self-help book. That's not what he gave us. He gave us Jesus. He knows we need a mighty king, a, a worthy king, a powerful king, a king with true authority, and that's why he gave us Jesus. You see, John is not stepping to the side because he just can't cut it. He can't do what is expected of him, so he gets benched and this guy named Jesus gets pulled up. That's not what's happening here. John is stepping to the side because the king has arrived. Jesus is God's expected king, and that's, friends, why we should go all in for Jesus. Now, some of us today need to follow John's example here. You know, in John 3, some of John's disciples are coming to him and saying, hey, did you see that everybody's leaving us and going to follow this Jesus guy? Are you okay with that? And John's not worried. He says, yeah, of course I'm okay with that. And his response is, he must increase, I must decrease. Less and less of John and more and more of Jesus, he says, is a good thing. And so some of us today need to cultivate that same attitude, an attitude that says less and less of me and more and more of Jesus. Less, and me, it, less of me and my family and more of Jesus. Less of me and my marriage and more of Jesus. Less of me and my workplace and more of Jesus. Less of me in this church and more of Jesus. You see, once you realize just how worthy Jesus really is, that's when you realize you can be like John, that you're not even worthy to untie the straps of his Birkenstocks. You can't even untie his sandals. Listen to what the pastor in Hebrews 1.3 says. He's the radiance of the glory of God the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's that's the Jesus that we need more and more of. We need a lot less of us and a lot more of that. Let's pray to be like John, and have less of us and more of Jesus. Let's look to Christ and follow his example. Now, some of us here today might need to hear John's warning. In verse 17, John says, Jesus is coming with a winnowing fork. What is a winnowing fork? It's a pitchfork. You know, we've been lied to our whole lives. We thought the devil was the one that has a pitchfork, but in the Bible, Jesus is the one with a pitchfork. And he was going to, and you would use this pitchfork to shake the wheat up in the air so that all of the scraps would fly away and get left behind on the ground, and they would scatter, they would gather them up, and they would take them and burn them. 
You see, John is using an image here of judgment. You see, for those in Christ, verse 17 is a beautiful promise. Jesus is going to gather us to himself. But for those who refuse to come to Jesus, there is a warning of eternal punishment and judgment. The truth is that without Jesus, you will spend an eternity separated from the goodness and the love of God. You will spend an eternity in this unquenchable fire, as John calls it. But if you would repent of your sins, if you would trust in Jesus, you can be rescued from that judgment. Don't live your life thinking, hey, my sin's not a big deal. God's a nice guy. He's going to let me in in the end. Verse 17 is clear. That's not the way it works. But Jesus died to rescue sinners from that coming judgment. And so if you have never believed in Jesus, would you do that today for the first time? Would you come to Christ, cry out to him to save you so that you might be forgiven and so that you might live with him as your king? You can do that today. You can do that right now. You can cry out to Jesus to save you. I would love to talk to you later more about that. But friends, Jesus is God's expected king. He's mighty. He's worthy. He's powerful. He has all authority in heaven and earth. So let's go all in with him. Let's trust him to do what only he can do. And let's pray for more and more of him in our lives. So Jesus is God's expected king. Number two, Jesus is God's good news. So as we move on in our text, Luke begins to fade John out of the story. He mentions that John is going to eventually be put into prison by a man named Herod. John had frequently and publicly called out this ruler for his sin, and so Herod has John arrested. But before this happened, Luke tells us what John was busy doing. Look at what it says in verse 18. It says, So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. You see, John's ministry was not just about repentance. His ministry was about the gospel, too. That word gospel means good news. And this is not the first time we've seen the word in Luke. Do you remember what the shepherds or what the angels told the shepherds on the night of Jesus's birth? Luke 2, 10 through 11. It says, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news Good news of great joy that will be for all people. And here it is. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I mean, what was this good news that John was preaching? It was the good news that Jesus is our Savior. He is the Christ. He is Lord. You see, John wasn't just preaching about repentance. He was preaching about Jesus, too. And he was preaching the good news that God is coming to rescue the world through Jesus. You see, the gospel is all about Jesus. The gospel is not about something that we do. It's not a set of rules to follow. It's not an ethics lesson. It's good news. It's news. It's, it's the good news of what Jesus has done. The story of his life and his death and his resurrection, his ascension to heaven. 
The gospel is not morals to live by. It's a message to receive. Have you ever heard of this book called The Gospel of Thomas? You ever heard of that? It's a collection of quotes from Jesus. There's 114 of them. Some of them are in, in the Bible, some of them are not. It's a pretty old document. And some people have claimed that it's like this lost gospel. There's maybe some secret conspiracy to hide the gospel of Thomas because it shares the truth about who Jesus really is. There was some conspiracy not to include it with the other four gospels. Well, do you know the main problem with the gospel of Thomas? There's no gospel in the gospel of Thomas. There's no story of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It's just a list of sayings. And sure, Jesus said a lot of things. He taught a lot of things. They're in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be looking at a whole bunch of the things that he said and that he taught. But Jesus' teaching can only be understood in light of what he has already done for us. You see, what we do for Jesus always comes after what he's already done for us. The Christian life is not try to do and be and, and try to work really hard. It's no, it's finished. Jesus has already done the work for us. And so we then seek to follow and obey because of him. I mean, just think about this for a minute. What, does, what was John preaching? It said he was preaching the good news. What was he saying to people? Y'all better be good people. Y'all better follow these Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses. I don't know if you've ever heard of those or not, but they're pretty important. You better do those. You better get your life together. I mean, is that the good news that he was preaching? No, he was preaching about Jesus. He was preaching that Jesus is coming. A king is coming. A savior who has been born to be Christ the Lord. He is coming for us. A friend of sinners is coming for us. You see, the gospel is not about what we do. It's about what Jesus did. The good news of his perfect and finished work. Now, you might be thinking if you've been to Christ Fellowship for some time, man, y'all talk about the gospel all the time. We are always talking about Jesus. You're, you're always talking about that. What's up with that? Why do we need to keep talking about the gospel over and over and over? Well, you see, the gospel is less like a vaccine and it's more like food. I'm not trying to open a can of worms talking about vaccines here, but let's say you take the vaccine for measles. <laughs> Hopefully that's not controversial, right? You take your vaccine for measles when you're a kid and hey, you're good. I don't think anybody here is worried about getting measles. I'm pretty confident that that was one and done, right? I got my vaccine. I don't have to worry about it anymore. But you're all going to eat today, and you're going to eat tomorrow, and you're going to eat the day after that. You're going to need food again and again and again. You're going to need it over and over. The gospel is like that. It's not something that we receive once and we check it off. We got it, one and done. All right, let's move on. It's something that we need again and again, something we need over and over. And you might say, well, why? Because life is hard. Life is crazy. Who knows what is going to happen between now and next Sunday? 
And let's just be honest, I had a crazy week this week. This week was really, really hard in a lot of ways. I, I need some good news. I don't need to show up to church or show up to community group and someone to tell me, hey, you just didn't, you didn't try hard enough this week. You just need to be better than you were last week. I need somebody to say, Jesus said it's done. He wants you to trust him. I need someone to say to me, there's there, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I need someone to say to me, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who trust in him. I need someone to preach the good news of he lived in my place. He died in my place. He rose again in my place. I need to hear that over and over. You need to hear that over and over. Just as we need food over and over, we need the good news of Jesus over and over. And so this is why gospel community is so vital for us as Christians. We need to be together speaking the gospel to one another again and again and again. You know, we don't just show up to an event and just live our lives like nothing ever happened. We need to be in one another's lives speaking the gospel. We speak the gospel when suffering comes. We speak the gospel when temptation comes. We speak the gospel when our marriage is hard, when our parenting is hard, when we feel lonely, when our relationships, our friendships are hard. We need to speak the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to talk about his life and his death and his resurrection over and over. And this is why community groups are so important for us at Christ Fellowship. It's not because we just needed something on the calendar. What are we going to do? I don't know. How about some community groups? That's it. Let's do that. We need to be in one another's lives speaking the gospel to one another. And friends, when we gather for community groups, it's the gospel that we should be speaking. Our community groups would be a failure if we all walked away thinking, all right, I need to try harder. I need to do better next week. We need to walk away saying, Jesus is so good. The gospel is so good. I needed to hear my brothers and sisters speaking the gospel to me. So let's gather together to gospel one another. Let's go all in for Jesus because he's the good news. We're not the good news. He's the good news. Let's go all in for Jesus because he's the good news. Lastly, number three. Not only is he God's expected king and God's good news, but Jesus is God's beloved son. Now Luke turns our attention to the baptism of Jesus. Luke tells us that when Jesus was baptized, he was praying, the heavens were opened up, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove, and then God the Father spoke from heaven. What an amazing event that must have been. I mean, just, just imagine that was the day that you chose to get in line to get baptized, you know? And have no clue that behind you there's this guy named Jesus, that this amazing thing is going to happen. Hundreds of people come to John to be baptized. They all go down into the water. They all come up. But there was only one person that this happened to. And Luke tells us that all the people were baptized, but the heavens only opened up on one person, Jesus. You see, this was the moment that Jesus was coming to take center stage. It was his time to begin his public ministry. 
And Jesus' baptism was his commissioning service to go into the world and to do the work that God had called him to. And notice now in verse 22, this amazing declaration that God the Father makes over Jesus from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. This declaration is, is drawing together at least two main ideas from the Old Testament. The first phrase, God is quoting from Psalm 2. We, we read it at the beginning of the service. Psalm 2 is a celebration of God's promised king, his beloved son. You see, God had promised that David would one day have a descendant who would sit on the throne of God's kingdom forever. And God would be a father to him, and he would be a son to God. And so really, this whole section of Luke, he's drawing our attention to the fact that Jesus is this promised son of God. We read the genealogy. Luke connects Jesus all the way back to Adam, who Luke calls the very son of God. And next week, we'll look at the temptation stories. And when the devil comes to Jesus, he begins by saying, if you are the son of God, then do this. You see, this whole section is clear. Luke is drawing our attention to the fact that Jesus is not only a promised king, but he is the very son of God. Jesus has come to rule and reign as God's chosen, beloved son. I mean, there's hundreds of kings in the Old Testament. There's only one king that God sent as his beloved son. That's King Jesus. But notice the second phrase. He says, with you I am well pleased. In the book of Isaiah, there are four servant songs. And this is quoting from the first one in Isaiah 42, verse 1. These servant songs tell the story of how God is going to send this promised king, but the way that he's going to rescue his people is through suffering. You're probably familiar with these verses from the fourth servant song in Isaiah 53. Verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, God's word is clear all the victory and all the glory and all the triumph that God's king would receive would come through suffering. And you see, that's exactly what Jesus did. He suffered. Jesus knew the only way that lost sinners like you and like me could be saved would be by his death on the cross. And so the high and exalted king of Psalm 2 became the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And by his death on the cross, Jesus carries our sin. His body was crushed for our evils. And the wounds on his head and the wounds on his back, the wounds on his hands and his feet, the wounds in his side, by those wounds we are healed. And friends, all of this brought much pleasure to the Father. 
Now don't misunderstand here. The father is not cruel. The father did not find joy in seeing Jesus suffer. This is not divine child abuse if some have grossly misunderstood what's happening here. The father was not pleased in making Jesus suffer, but the father was pleased in the fact that Jesus was willing to suffer and did suffer so that we might be saved. Paul puts it like this in Philippians 2. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him. God is pleased with the sacrifice he made. And so that's what this declaration from heaven is all about. You're my beloved son. You're my king. And with you, I'm well pleased. You're going to suffer. And it's going to bring about much good and much glory. Jesus is the divine king of heaven and earth. And his suffering brought salvation to us and pleasure to God. And so I want us to close with one final thought from this verse. I want us to give one final reason to go all in for Jesus. Have you ever wondered why Jesus was baptized? I mean, if John is leading this movement of baptizing people for repentance and forgiveness of sins, why does Jesus go be baptized? What's he need to repent of? What sins do Jesus need to be forgiven of? Well, you see, John's baptism was not just about personal repentance, but it was a reset button for the people of Israel. Remember, it was the Jordan River that the people of Israel had crossed over into the Promised Land as a new nation. And just read the Old Testament. That went horribly wrong. And so here is John, centuries later, leading a renewal movement. We need to start over. We need to go back to where we began. We need a do-over, a redo, a mulligan. And so that's why Luke tells us in verse 21 that all the people then go to be baptized. That phrase, all the people. I think Luke is drawing our attention there because when Jesus sees the crowds at the Jordan going to be baptized, he knows that it's time for him to go and to identify with his people. He went to join this movement of God's people. And he didn't just join it, he took over. But what I want us to grasp in our hearts today is that Jesus identified with us so that we might identify with him. He went down into the Jordan to be baptized like a sinner so that we might be raised with him like a victorious, risen king. He was united to us so that we might be united to him. And this is an amazing good news for us today. This is the reason to go all in for Jesus. When God the Father looks at us He sees Jesus. When God the Father looks at us, He sees Jesus. When God looks at those united in Christ by faith, He sees His beloved Son with whom He is well pleased. You see, when God looks at me, He doesn't see weak sinful, doubting me. He sees Jesus. When God looks at you, He doesn't see your failures or your fears. He sees Jesus. He doesn't see your addiction 
He doesn't see your anger. He doesn't see your worry. He doesn't see your envy. He doesn't see your pride. He doesn't see your lust. He doesn't see your self-righteousness. He doesn't see your selfishness. If you are in Christ by faith, when God looks at you, He sees Jesus. And just as sure as He loves Jesus, He loves you. And just as Jesus is beloved, you are beloved by the Father. And just as sure as He is well pleased with Jesus, the Father is well pleased with you. Not because of you. Certainly not because of you and me. But because of Jesus. You see, that's why we need to go all in for Jesus. Because He is the only place where we can be loved and favored by God. I mean, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. Because of Jesus, we are God's beloved children with whom God is well pleased. That's who we are. That's our hope. That's the only place we can stand. So I know we have doubts. I know we have sin that ensnares us. I know there are things holding us back. But brothers and sisters, let's go all in for Jesus. He's God's expected king. He's God's good news. He's God's beloved son. So let's give him our trust and our adoration. Let's give him our hearts in our lives. Let's put all our chips on the table and let's say, Jesus, we're yours. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. God, it can be so easy to be discouraged. It can be so easy to feel defeated. It can be easy to be apathetic. It can be easy to be bitter and angry. It can be easy to worry and be anxious. Lord, but Jesus is glorious. He's mighty and he's worthy. He's powerful. He has authority over all of heaven and earth. He's the good news that we're here to celebrate, the good news that saves us, the good news that keeps us going day after day and week after week and year after year. He's your beloved son with whom you're well pleased. He's the one who said, I always do what pleases the Father. He's the one who came to glorify your name. He's the one who came to purchase our redemption by his death on the cross. And so we, Lord, can come with so many things that might hold us back. But Lord, let us behold Jesus. Let us see him today. God, so that we might trust him.
so we might love him, so we might serve him, we might give him everything that we have. Lord, I pray for those who don't know Christ today, who who he's not their treasure, Lord, would today be the day of salvation. Let them come to Jesus today. Let them hear the warning of John the Baptist that there is judgment coming for those who are not in Christ. May they repent of their sins, believe in Jesus, and be forgiven even today, Lord. But for those of us in Christ, Lord, may we behold him. May we see more and more of him in our lives and in our church. May we talk about his good news over and over and over again. And may we rest in the declaration that because we are in Jesus, we are beloved by you and you are pleased with us. Let that encourage us and strengthen us and empower us, Lord, to honor you and to follow Jesus and to obey. But may we remember that because of Jesus, we are your children. Lord, we love you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.